So last week we began a new study called New Life. New Life. And, uh, you know, as I look into uh, the book of Ephesians, as I look into this letter that Paul once wrote to a local gathering of believers that were gathering in Ephesus, a small uh, town there, uh, uh, well, not a really a small town, a pretty large town actually, but a, in a very influential town. He was writing this letter to a small group of, ga- of people that were gathering there, believers, and he was talking a lot about the new life that they had in Christ Jesus. And I said last week we were talking about the, the reality that in Christ Jesus we have a new identity in Christ. And so uh, that's very important for us to understand. We are no longer who we used to be and we, we no longer even maybe look like we used to, to look uh, as far as who we are as a person because we begin to take on this new identity in Christ. And so as you read through the, the letter of Ephesians, you're going to see a lot of in him, in Christ, you know, through Christ, in him, just over and over and over. You, you see this sort of language as Paul is writing this letter, and he's primarily saying that because of the, the new identity that we have in Christ Jesus. And so uh, it's, it's amazing to think about everything that Christ has done in us and through us as believers and as followers of Christ Jesus. He's constantly at work in our life and and this identity becomes something that is very important for us to understand because it is foundational to how we live out our life. But this morning we're going to be looking at another issue, something else that we need to be talking about. And, um, And what Paul is going to do in this letter is he's going to begin to transition to some very important truths. He's going to be focusing on really two truths, and and we are as well as we look into this passage, but he's going to be talking a good bit about redemption, and I know you've heard this word before. This is not a a word that you haven't heard if you've attended church any part of your life, if you know the gospel, if you know that you are a believer, a follower, been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Redemption is not a foreign word, although we may not completely understand what exactly it means. And so Paul's going to uh, dive into this as he's writing this letter to this local church, people that have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. He is reminding them of the importance of redemption. And then this other word that he's going to use is this word inheritance. And again, all of this ties into our identity in Christ Jesus. What is he trying to tell us? What is God's word teaching us about who we are in Christ Jesus? And so that becomes very important for us to understand. And so that's what we want to look at here today. Uh, I've invited you already to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 14 this morning. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We went through verses 1 through 6. And so today we're picking up at verse 7. And we're going to continue to to move through here. We're looking at God's saving work. Now let me explain that because I want you to understand. He's writing to a gathering of people. But the, the teaching that he is doing in these few verses is really teaching us again about this sovereign work this amazing work that Christ is doing in our own hearts as individuals 
And so he's really drilling down to the individual here as he speaks these truths. Obviously, they apply to us as a church, collectively as a body, but he really wants us to understand. And my prayer this morning as we dive into this text and we begin to look at this is that we would truly begin to wrap our minds around this, this, this truth concerning redemption and understand how that applies to who we are. Or maybe it doesn't. But regardless, we really begin to wrap our minds around this idea of redemption, knowing what it means about us and our relationship with Christ Jesus. One of the things I love in Emily's testimony is she was saying, I knew this and this and this about who Christ was. I just didn't know it applied to me. And so this morning, we want to make sure you understand that this is... uh, this applies to you, the truth of God's word, these truths that Paul is teaching. He, it, it certainly applies to every one of us that are sitting in here this morning in some way or another. And so we want to look at this. And so we're going to be diving into this. And just so you know, redemption is the central theme of God's word. Every single word, every sentence, every paragraph, every passage that we might go to and and break down and dive into everything that the bible is speaking about the entirety of the gospel is pointing to this truth concerning redemption and so it becomes very important for us to understand and to talk about as a church and so we're going to be looking at this and what's interesting is that God, and, and this is what uh, Ephesians is teaching us as we read through here, is that God takes this very elective approach through redemption, and he provides this ultimate and eternal inheritance for those people who would call themselves children of God or who would become, in Christ Jesus, children of God. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here today. Read with me, if you will, starting with verse 7. We'll read through verse 14. God's word says this. It says, in him, and again, we're talking about Christ Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, or some translations say our sin, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first hope, first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him you were sealed with the promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, I've already mentioned to you that there are two words that really I want to focus on. We could literally look at this text for about six hours. I mean, it's full of so much, and there's no way, obviously, in in one message 
we could dive into all that this passage reveals to us. But today, the two words that I really want us to focus in on are these words, redemption and inheritance, because these are huge words for us to understand. But more than just words, they are truths that come from God's word that teach us so much about who Christ is and how much and, and, and who we are and our relationship with him. And so as we think about all of this as individual followers of Christ Jesus, it becomes hugely important that we grab on to these truths and understand how they can be applied to our life. And so here Paul is going to use these two words to reveal two truths that we're going to be looking at. I'll go ahead and give them to you and then we'll dive into the first one. But the first one is there is freedom in our redemption. He's going to cover that in this passage. There is freedom in our redemption. And then the other one is there is purpose in our inheritance. And so that's what we want to look at here this morning. We want to dive into this and try to understand what this text is teaching us. And, and I guarantee you, as we look at this, this is going to be something that just really helps you to understand your relationship with Christ Jesus. And so the first truth that, that we're going to look here is, is that Paul is presenting to us is this first truth of there is freedom in our redemption. There is freedom in our redemption. Now, to understand this, we must understand redemption. And I want us to start off this morning by looking at the first few words of our passage here. It says here in verse 7, it says, In him, and again, we see a lot of this in, 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 in the letter to the Ephesians because he's centering in on a doctrine that we need to understand. He says, in him, in Christ, through him, through Christ. And so we see all this. But he says, in him, meaning Christ, we have redemption through his blood. And so if you have your Bibles open this morning, if you're taking notes, go ahead and just underline that or write that in your notes. This becomes the central point of what we're going to be talking about here in the next few minutes as we look at this passage. What we begin to realize is that this word redeemed as we, as we study this is speaking of something that we certainly need to be uh, and, and, and understand, we need to understand clearly. But here when Paul uses this word, this word that, that stems from the core of that word, redemption, from this word redeem, he is talking about the purchase of something, okay? And so this becomes, as we drill down, we begin to understand this, but he, he's talking about this being set free because there has been a payment made or the purchase of something. Specifically, what he's talking about is being set free from captivity or being set free from bondage by payment. And so what was this payment that Christ has paid for us? Because he says in him, meaning Christ Jesus, this payment that was paid for our redemption is his blood. His blood, when he went to the cross, when Jesus went to the cross and it was there that he died and those soldiers came and they pierced his side and this was a man who had died on the cross who would go to a tomb only to have victory over both sin and death by being raised from the grave no longer dead but alive it was his blood that was spilled for the atonement 
the forgiveness of our sins. And so there was a price that was being paid that we may no longer live in Christ Jesus a life of a dead man, but that we would have life in Christ Jesus. And so he was paying a price. And so this word redeem or redemption becomes a very important word for us concerning our salvation, concerning everything we know about Jesus and who we are. It was estimated that in Paul's day, when he was living, that there were over 6 million slaves living in the world during this time. There was a lot of slaves. And most of these slaves, what we know as we study history is we know that slaves were being sold all over the world in different marketplaces. And so this word redeemed, it comes from a Greek word that literally means to purchase. And oftentimes when you see this word being used in the original language, it's talking about the purchasing of a slave, someone who is in bondage, someone who is in captivity. And obviously the people who were buying slaves of that day, they were buying these slaves to put them into service. But what sets Christ apart is that when he was purchasing the slaves with his blood, the blood is the price that was being paid, by him purchasing the slave, he is purchasing them not to put them into captivity, not to put them into bondage, but to set them free. And so it becomes a really beautiful picture. I love the imagery of what Paul is using here as he begins to just write these words. It's kind of hard to read this passage because he doesn't take a break. He, there's no periods, man. He just keeps talking in Christ, through Christ, with Christ. We love Christ, you know, just on and on and on and on. He just goes. But you can tell that he is so excited about just painting this beautiful picture of the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. We are held captive. Captive by what? By our own sin and our own death. He has purchased us to set us free. I love that. We were singing about that just a few moments ago. But how many of us have truly wrapped our minds around the words that we sing? We need to be, as believers in Christ Jesus, capable of understanding these words and these concepts and these truths concerning our own salvation. What is it that Christ Jesus has done for us? He bled for us. Yeah, we get that. But what was the purpose of the blood? The blood was to pay the price that we could never pay. We can't pay it. Somebody had to pay it. And so he goes to the cross and he dies and his blood was spilled to purchase us, to buy us, but not to place us into more captivity, but to set us free. That's why we sing about this. That's why we celebrate this. It's a beautiful picture. And the imagery that Paul uses is really hugely powerful. Now, what is it that we're being set free from? I've already given you the answer here, but it's sin. You see, what we begin to understand, if we go all the way back to Genesis, we begin to understand that every person born in this world since the fall of Adam and Eve, every single one, there's nobody that is left out. Every single one is held captive, is a slave to sin. We are deprived. We are sinful, we are corrupt, we are completely separated from a holy God because of the sin in our life. And yet, Christ came to buy us back so that we would escape 
the death that we deserve so that we would escape the wrath that we deserve. He came and he died on that cross while we were yet still sinners. Christ died for us. Here's what Paul writes to the Galatians. I love this. And he he writes this. He says, for freedom, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of of slavery. What's he talking about? He's talking about being enslaved to sin. And he says, Christ came. He died on that cross to set you free. His blood would buy you back. It would buy you back to set you free. So he says to the Galatians, he says, Christ died. He set you free through the, the shedding of his blood. Now stay free. Stay free. Don't fall victim to the yoke of slavery, he's saying Christ didn't do this to place you back into captivity. He has set you free from that. Release yourself from the sin of, of your life. Move on toward, Spence mentioned this earlier in just his words and his singing, that we are to pursue the righteousness of Christ. Let us chase after the cross because we have been set free from the chains of sin. And so Paul, boy, he's just laying some stuff out there for us to understand here. By nature, we may be separated from a holy and righteous God, but in Christ Jesus, we are no longer slaves. We are no longer under the yoke of slavery because Jesus changes everything. Amen? Jesus changes everything. Romans 3, 23 says this in 24. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. However, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the, here's that word again, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Every time you see that word, you should remember the price that Christ paid for your sin. His blood, it was spilled for you and for me. And so this becomes really remarkable what Christ is doing. I love in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul, he, he describes, uh, you know, he says, in Christ we are not our own, but we have been bought with a price. And so this word here is used bought, again, referring to redemption. I love this story. I was contemplating whether or not to share it with you, but I think I will. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading a story of a, of a little boy who would go down to a lake that was near his home, a big lake there, and, and he was really inspired by all the sailboats that were sailing on windy days, and, and, and even a lot of the other uh, kids would have these these uh, model sailboats that they would sail there in the, the lake. And so being inspired by all of this, he goes back to the house and he talks to his daddy and his daddy decides to come out and help him build this boat. And so for months and months and months, he worked on this boat, this little sailboat, just putting it all together. And eventually he gets it ready and it's just perfect. It's ready to go. And he, he can't wait to get out there to the lake and to, to sail this, little, this, this model boat that he has, he has built with his own hands. And so he goes out there and, 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 and every week he was on this lake and he was sailing, sailing this boat. And, and, and he just found so much enjoyment in this boat until one day there was this huge sort of gusty wind that began to carry the boat out into the lake. And it got 
too far out of his, his capability to retrieve this boat. It, it just got out in the lake. And eventually, all he could do was watch this thing just disappear over the sunset. I mean, he, it got so far away, he couldn't see it anymore. And so he was just distraught, as you could imagine, about this boat being out of, you know, no longer his. I mean, he, he didn't know where it was. He couldn't find it. And so for weeks, he would go and he would just walk the shore of the beach and the, the lake trying to find his boat and he never could find it until one day he's walking down the street there in town and he looks into a shop and he sees in the storefront his boat sitting there for sale and so he goes into the store and he tells the owner he says he said that boat it it belongs to me I made that boat and the the store owner I guess maybe having a little sympathy toward the boy he he says well you know I understand what you're what you're saying, but I paid someone for this boat who brought it in, and so the only way you're getting this boat back is if you buy it. And so the little boy had another little project on his hand. He goes out, and he, he, he works, and he does everything he can to, to earn enough money to go and buy the boat, which was his own. And so he goes back, and he, he buys this boat, and he walks out of the store once again having his boat. And with great joy, he says, you are twice mine. Once because I created you, and now because I have bought you. And I love that because it is such a beautiful picture of who we are in Christ Jesus. As we consider our own identity, we are once Jesus' because he has created us. In fact, the Bible tells us that everything was created in heaven and on earth through Christ Jesus. And so we have been molded and shaped and created by the very hand of God. And so we belong to him because we are created by him. But we also, in Christ Jesus, belong to him because he has bought us. And what a beautiful picture of redemption. And so Paul, he... He's writing to them and he's revealing all this to them. And I, I just think, man, all that he's teaching us here about redemption, trying to understand this and really wrap our minds about this, this really should just help us to see Jesus as very glorious and beautiful. Truly, we should see Jesus in this way couple of takeaways that I just sort of jotted down. You can write these down if you want. We won't, we won't stay camped out on them, but just a couple of things I wrote down. I, I wrote down when I was looking at this passage that when we have done everything we can do, God is always there to do what we cannot. Have you ever noticed that? If you're anything like me, and I, this just seems to be a, a rhythm in my life. I don't know why, because I know better. But if you're anything like me, you try to accomplish a lot on your own, right? No, some of you are saying, no, that's not me. Some of us are lying in church. But isn't that the truth? Don't we find ourselves trying to get through our own circumstances so often on our power? But one of the things I realize is that when we've done everything we can do, God's still always there to do what we cannot do. Now, here's one thing you can't do. You can't save yourself from your sins. You can't do it. Jesus paid the price. You're unable to pay the price. The other thing I wrote down, and I just think this is interesting as well, but Christ, and I've said this already, but Christ doesn't take us further into captivity, but rather he invites us into a life of freedom. 
And that's just a couple of takeaways from the first part of that. Now, the second truth that I want to I want to look at here this morning as we continue to look at this passage is the truth that there is purpose in our inheritance. There is purpose in our inheritance. Paul says here in verses 11 and 12 of our text, he says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. I want you to understand that. I mean, when we think of inheritance, we we talk about gaining something that is given to us as a gift, right? It is something that is handed down. We are heirs, and so therefore we are in receipt of an inheritance. We are given something that is not necessarily ours. It is handed down to us. And I think it's interesting because what Paul says here, here it is again, in him or in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. And so right away, if you're as a believer in Christ Jesus, that has to pique your interest as to what the inheritance might be. And we understand the riches that we have in Christ. We understand the blessings that we have in Christ. There is so much to understand about what Christ is offering to us as children of God, as, as those who are receiving the inheritance that Christ has given us through redemption, through Christ or in Christ. All of this is, is sort of the prelude to what Paul is saying now. But he says, in him we have obtained, that means we have gained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose, it says, of him. And so here's what Paul says. He says, he says we have an, obtained an inheritance, uh, an inheritance according to the purpose of him. And so there's purpose that is tied with inheritance. There is a, a reason that we have been redeemed. There is a purpose behind what Christ has done for us. Why do you suppose that Christ, I mean, that the Father sent the Son to come and to live a life here on this earth? He would live this life uh, free of sin, that he would be capable of going to the cross and then therefore understanding that God so loved us that he would send his Son and sacrifice his Son on the cross. Why do you suppose? There has to be a reason, right? Paul says, you have received an inheritance. And it is for a purpose. I I remember years ago uh, when I was going through one of the hardest times of my life, I remember having the thought, I don't even know why I exist. I was in a really dark place in my life and the the one thing that I really couldn't get over was this sense of just having no purpose. Uh, I, I wondered, why would God create me? What is the reason for my existence? And quite honestly, in that dark moment of my life, I didn't care whether I lived or died. It was just that bad. And so I found myself in this place believing the lies of an enemy. We sang about that earlier as well. But believing the lies of an enemy, of one who would like nothing better than to just destroy my life, believing that God had somehow created me without purpose. But that's not true. And it's especially not true for those who have been redeemed through Christ Jesus. And so Paul says there's this this understanding of redemption that we need to understand that Christ went to the cross and he purchased us, he bought us, he made us, and he bought us, and he did this. He saved us by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And we're on this process or in this process of being sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God 
And all of this taking place in our life and all of this taking place for a reason. And so Paul says here, he says, he says in this passage, we have obtained this inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now look at verse 12. He says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. I love that. Can I just say, I I, I tell you, that is one of the most beautiful things that scripture reveals to us right here. He says here in verse 12, that our purpose so that we who are the first to hope in Christ Jesus might be the praise of his glory. You know, I I love this because I, I believe that what Paul doesn't say here is that he doesn't say Jesus wants to take your life and make it a little better. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's not saying he wants to take your life and make a few tweaks and a few adjustments and change, you know, who you are as a person just slightly. He's not saying he wants to alter your course. That's not what Paul's saying here. As we look at this, what we begin to realize is that what he is saying is that this new identity that you have in Christ Jesus, it flows from this desire for Christ to give you a new life, not to help you with your old life, but to offer to you a new life. And as we understand that, because we talked last week a lot about this concerning our identity in Christ, we begin to realize that what God is saying and what he is revealing to us is he says, I want to give you a new life altogether. God is saying, I want to replace a heart of stone. I want to replace a heart of stone with a new life. And in that, you will be the praise of my glory. We were created to bring glory to God. We were created to be the evidence of his glory. The new life that we have in Jesus, this new life that we have in Christ is to be the praise of his glory. And so you wonder, well, what is the, what is the purpose the, that we have? It is to bring glory to God. I, I love the fact that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. As believers who have been redeemed by the power and the presence and the blood of Christ Jesus, we are to live for the glory of God. And as we live for the glory of God, we become the praise of his glory. What a beautiful thing that is being revealed to us if we would just wrap our minds and understand this. Now, to help us understand this, I want us to look real quickly to Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Paul's writing to a new, a different group of people. He's writing to those believers living in Rome, and he says this. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then what? Then heirs. Okay, an heir, he's, he's referencing an heir, so therefore he is referencing what? That an inheritance is going to come with it. That's what an heir is, is someone who receives the inheritance. And so again, making mention of this truth that is in Christ Jesus. And he says here that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now we have been set free from sin, so therefore we are children of God and we are heirs in Christ Jesus. Christ has accomplished that by the shedding of his blood that we would become children of God and therefore receive 
this inheritance so that we might be the praise of his glory. Lamel and I always talk about this. Uh, she, she just says these are the glory days of her years and I say I want to be 25 again. I don't know why we fuss. I mean, it's not like anything's going to change. I think she's right and I'm wrong on this one. You know, I think I'm here to stay. Well, no, not here to stay. I'm getting older by the minute, aren't I? I mean, as we stand here today, I'm getting older. I mean, that's such a depressing thought for me. But anyway, we talk about this all the time. But one of the greatest blessings in my life these days are my grandchildren. I, I tell you, amen, amen. They are, the, they are the heritage. There's five or six of you that appreciate that with me. The rest of you are like, I could care less about your grandchildren. Get on with the preaching. But I'm going to tell you anyway. They, they are the blessing of our life. I mean, she would certainly agree with this, that they are truly just remarkable to us. And, and we love them and we adore them. But let me tell you what is, is really amazing. What really gives me warm fuzzies around my, my kids. It's not that, I mean, when they run into my arms like one of them did this morning, even coming down the hall and just wanting to give me a hug before she went off to, to church. Uh, one of the greatest things that, that just, just makes you feel so good is when somebody says something like this. They say, David, she looks just like you, or he looks just like you. Or sometimes I hear this. I'll say, you see what they're doing right there? That's just like you. You see that rebellion? <laughs> it's not typically that. It's like, look at the Christ-likeness in that child. <laughs> That's just like you, David. Just holy and reverent, you know? Because my children, they never, my grandchildren, they never do anything wrong anyway, so. But, but when your grandchildren, when, when, when people make reference to the grandchildren and how it's a reflection of who you are, whether it's how you look or, or, or the actions that they take, it's one of the greatest blessings. It, 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 there could not be anything, I don't think, that could be any more encouraging to a granddad than that. And I was reading this text, and it says that as the church, as individual followers of Christ Jesus who have been redeemed by the power and the blood of Christ Jesus, we are now children of God, right? And so as children who are not only children but heirs to an inheritance that is more than we could ever imagine, we are children who are an heir, and, and I, I look at this, to, to be the praise of his glory. And I think about this reality that when people look into our life and they say, man, they look just like Jesus. Look at, look at them. They're, they're living a life and that life is so, so reflective of who Christ is. Or they see us living our life as individuals and they say, man, just look. I mean, he, you know, Jesus went out and he preached the gospel and he's doing that with his life. And you know, I, I think one of the greatest compliments that we could receive as a follower of Jesus is for somebody to say, you look just like Jesus. When I look into your life, I see Jesus. And when I see Paul writing these words to the praise of his glory, I think about this, not because it's glorifying us for people to say that, but it's glorifying God when people say that because we are living out the purpose that we have been created for. As believers in Christ Jesus, we have been redeemed from our sin. We've been, we've been bought with a price 
only to be set free from that sin. And as we live out our life, fulfilling the purpose of our inheritance, we're doing it for the glory of God. And whether somebody's looking at our life as individuals or they're looking at us collectively, there's a dark world out there. I don't know if you realize this or not, but as the world looks into the life of the church and they look into our life as disciples, I can only imagine that the greatest thing that brings the most joy in God's heart is when people say, look, they look just like Jesus. Praising His glory, not our own. Because they can see who Christ is through the church. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of this. In just a moment, we're going to partake in communion together as a, as a church. And the Lord's Supper is another beautiful beautiful picture of exactly what we've been talking about. The fact that Jesus spilt his blood. His body was broken. He spilled his blood for the atonement of our sins. That's what we're celebrating. When we break the bread, we're celebrating the broken body. And when we, when we drink from the cup, we're celebrating the blood that was spilt for the redemption of our life. But I think it's interesting because when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, when he was writing this, he said, he said these words, and I think it's really interesting. He says, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. He's talking about what we're talking about here. He's, he's talking about this reality that even in the partaking of the Lord's Supper, even when we when we peel back that cellophane and we've talked about what it means to take the Lord's Supper, to take that cracker, we, it, it, before we ever eat it, we're, we're signifying the reality that Christ was broken for us. We drink from the cup and we're talking about the blood of Jesus and we're giving glory to him. We're celebrating who he is because he is so worthy. He is the one who paid the price that we could be bought out of freedom and death to begin with. And so it becomes just a really remarkable thing to even partake in the Lord's Supper together to proclaim his glory, to, to speak of the gospel.